In this new year, 2021, there is unrest in our nation. They say goodwill, good e- they say that good is evil and evil is good. People do whatever is right in their own eyes. Immorality is rampant in our land. But this morning, I want to preach a message that will bring us hope and comfort to our hearts and to our souls. As you see, we've entitled the message, The Guarantee of the Believer. This morning, before we continue on, I need the help of God and the Holy Spirit. So let's go before Him in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, just now this morning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I come before you, Lord, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I realize, Lord, that I'm just a man, just a vessel that you've chosen to help proclaim this word of truth. Father, we're so thankful for the word of God. We're thankful that it is true and you are the only true and living God. And in your word, we see your son, Jesus Christ, from beginning to end. And this morning, fathers, we take a look in this little book of Jude. We just thank you and praise you for the writings there. We thank you for the hope that we have of eternal life, the hope that we can know without a doubt that our hope is is secure in Christ, in Christ alone. And so this morning I just pray and I plead with you to give me strength, give me clarity of speech and of mind, and direct me by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Cleanse me from any secret sin and make me clean. And Father, we just thank you And we ask that you would receive all glory and all praise and all honor. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I thought maybe, I don't know how many people have spent much time in this little book of Jude. It's kind of tucked in here right between 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in, in, in Revelation. And so I thought maybe it'd be good to just take just a moment or two And just give us a little bit of a background of Jude. First of all, we might ask, who is the author of Jude? It's very plain in verse 1a, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. So it's very obvious that Jude is the writer of this little book of Jude. And we might say, then, who is he writing to? Again, in verse 1b, he says, to those who are called... Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So it's very obvious that he is writing to the believers in Christ Jesus. Those who are called, beloved, and kept. And then we might say, who is he warning us against? What's well, very plain here that uh, in this little book of Jude, clear, back, or clear down to about the uh, 16th verse, he actually talks about the false teachers and the apostate and the antichrists. And so we, 
we find here in verse 4b, he says, There are those who pervert the grace of God into sensuality, and they deny our Master, only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They pervert God's grace, and they deny God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They are false teachers, and they're around us today. What do these false teachers do? We see it in 8b. He says, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious one, angels. How sad. And he pronounces in 11a, he says, woe to them. W-O-E, woe. What did he call them? In verses 12 and 13, he said, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. They're like dirt spots on the church. And he said, they're shepherds feeding themselves. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds. They promise spiritual life, and they end up with empty clouds. They're fruitless trees and laid on them, twice dead, uprooted. Promise spiritual feast and deliver nothing but famine. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of the utter darkness has been removed forever. They're here, and then they're gone. Lastly, Jude's call to preserve us is how? He says in verses 20 and 21, but he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, Number one. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. And number three, keep yourselves in the love of God. And number four, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then, finally, Jude closes with one of the most beautiful doxologies in all of Scripture. He says, now to you who are able to keep you from falling. Now to him, I mean Christ, who is able to keep you from falling. Now as a way of introduction, we might look at all the doctrines of salvation. We find that they are absolutely essential and precious to you and I as believers. The doctrine of eternal security stands out as one of the most awesome doctrines of them all. Justification, regeneration, conversion, adoption, we could not fully appreciate if it were not forever. If you and I were not certain of our eternal security in Christ, our Christian life would be filled with what? I don't know about you, but it, mine would be full of worry, anxiety, doubt, and fear. We see it all around us. People are searching for something. But if they do not know that they have eternal life in Christ, 
your life is going to be full of fear. The very thought of giving up all we have for Christ would not even hardly seem worth the cost if we might lose it in the end. Yet because of the doctrine of eternal security, you and I as believers can know that nothing, nothing can separate us from that saving faith that we result in an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4.17 What would happen? What would happen if it were up to us to maintain or to keep our salvation? I don't know about you, but this old boy here would lose it. I'd flat out lose it because I know myself. As we struggle with sin, we would over and over and over again forfeit our standing with the living God. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have no sin... We make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Even the failures of the Apostle Paul, when he wrote about the battle of his flesh, when he said, the th- in, in, uh, I believe it's in Romans 7, verse 24, when he said, the things that I'd like to do I don't do, and the things that I should not do is what I do, therefore I find that evil is present with me. And he cried out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this sin and death? Paul knew he could not gain or maintain his own salvation on his own self-righteous works. He couldn't do it. If there was anybody that could, he probably could have. Philippians chapter 3, 3 through 14, read that sometime. He says, he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. To the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church before his conversion. And finally, he says, I count it every." Every, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Praise God this morning that salvation is not based on my deeds or your deeds as believers, but the saving work of Jesus Christ. Here we find that we cannot lose our salvation because it is not based on our works. It is instead based on the person and work of Christ, as I said. We find it's His plan in Romans 8, 29, and 30. He says, For those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of of God's dear Son, 
And we find His promise in Hebrews 10.23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And His power, Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto all who believe, to the Gentiles and also to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. And His provision, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This guarantees our eternal destination. God's righteousness, not ours. The doctrine of eternal security connects completely with the other doctrines of salvation. For instance, it is totally tied to the doctrine of election. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Him, God, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to who? To the counsel of His will. God makes sure those who He chooses for eternal life will never, ever lose it. What does John 10, 27 tell us? He says, My sheep hear my voice. I love this verse. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Justification shows us that Jesus Christ has fully paid for our sins on the cross. In Romans 5.1, he says, Therefore, since we have been have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It also connects the doctrines of sanctification as we look in 2 Timothy 2.13. And it also shows us all who are in Christ are brought to glory, our glorification. In Ephesians 1.13 and 14. As he brings this letter to a close, Jude shows us God's preserving work in our salvation through doxology. A word of praise to God and glory. He is keeping with the biblical precedent that each of the five books of the Psalms ends with a doxology. And we're going to go to the Psalms, and those of you that have your Bibles might want to turn there with me to Psalms. We're going to go to about five of them here and uh, just read those together just to show you uh, how it ends with praise and honor and glory to God. First of all, we go to Psalm 41.13 as we find that Cameron read this morning for us. Psalm 41.13. We'll get there. 41.13 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. 
And again, we go to 72, 18, and 19 of Psalms. 72, 18, and 19. And he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. And now again in Psalm 89, 52, he says this, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And in 106, 48, 106, 48, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. And then finally, the last psalm of the book. He says one, in Psalm 150, he says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and the dance. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Won't that be wonderful in heaven where we can praise Him with all these the, the large sounding cymbals? <laughs> what a blessing. I can't wait. And now in, in, uh, in the New Testament, we're going to turn there just for a little bit. And I should have jotted these down, but I, we can just turn there real quickly. Romans eleven thirty six. 36. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says this. It says, For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And now again in Ephesians 3:20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. And he says this, "Now to him who is able do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever." Amen. And then in Philippians 4.20. Two more here. Philippians 4.20. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And now we turn to the last uh, book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. He says, To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His own blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. These all focus on the grace and the glory of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. They give us outbursts of praise from heaven for our awesome salvation 
that we have through Him and the promise of eternal life of someday meeting Him in heaven. The Apostle Paul ended his letter to the Romans in Romans 16, 27. He says to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In contrast to his early warnings regardless regarding apostasy and false teaching, Jude's doxology brings us comfort and encouragement to our souls this morning. It shows us the faithfulness of God's almighty power. It does three things for us. It removes fear. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It stimulates a hope for the future. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And it brings us joy. Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It removes fear. It stimulates hope. And it brings us joy. That's what it does for the believer. So this reveals two things to us this morning that, Lord will, that the Lord will do for you and I as believers. Number one, He will preserve the believer's salvation. And number two, He will present us blameless before His glorious throne. First of all, we see that the Lord preserves the believer's salvation as we look at these last two verses the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. 24a. Because God is completely faithful to his word, he will not allow us, his children, to fall away from saving faith and be lost again in our unrepentant sins. He won't allow it. Not only does God preserve us, but He is able to keep us to the end. Jesus taught us God sovereignly secures all who believe in Him. John 6, 37, 40 tells us this. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And those who come to me, I will never, ever cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise Him up, on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. To me, as I look 
and, and meditate upon that, it just blows my mind. I, I can't hardly imagine it. That's what God, through Jesus Christ, did for us. All that the Father gave to Jesus will come to Him. If those of you are in uh, this congregation this morning and He's chosen you in Him, you will come. And not only will you come, He will never cast you out. Scripture is full of many, many of God's promises and His power to preserve you and I. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, what does Paul say? He says, Now to him who is able to do far more, abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In Hebrews 7.25, he says, Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, Christ, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Christ is the one who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. From our human perspective, the path to heaven has always been full of peril. There's dangers from Satan, dangers from the apostate followers and false teachers, but from God's perspective, the path is absolutely safe and secure. Not because we are able to keep ourselves secure, but because God is able to keep us, as our text tells us. Now he says, now to him who is able to keep, to keep. Keep is a military word. In this context, it's meaning to guard or to watch over. Our God is at his post guarding over you and I to keep us safe. That's God's job. Psalm 12, 7, he says, You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. And here, he will keep us from stumbling into apostasy. John 10, 27 through 29, we'll quote the whole verse, verses. Again, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And what? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You see, beloved, our security is safe and secure in Jesus Christ and God the Father. Also in Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17, verses 24 and 26, Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, 
excuse me here, just whom you gave me, where, <clears throat> Father, I desire that also whom you gave me may be with me, where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, and have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Christ's infinite love for the Father ensures us that he will keep those the Father has given him. And the Father's infinite love for the Son makes certain he will protect those whom he has given to Christ. You and I are secured by both the Father and the Son. Also, salvation is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul emphasizes in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In, I had to do that for your benefit, Phil. Yeah, Ephesians. He always said, I just say Ephesians. But anyway, in whom you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here we see that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers confirms that we have truly been born again. We have been converted. Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. What a blessing that is. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with my spirit, your spirit, that we are the children of God. We find that salvation also is a gift based only on God's grace through the death of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, 8 through 11. I used to could quote this, but uh, this old mind's not quite as sharp as it once was. So anyway, Romans 5, 8 through 11. But God shows us that His love for us is in while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The reconciliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reconciled us back to Him through the death of His Son. That's why reconciliation is such a wonderful thing. Before God saved us, we were enemies of God. What does Ephesians 2.1 tell us? It says that, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you walked, 
He said, you are following the course of this world. You're following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience, Satan himself. There was nothing good in us. And we were all sinners. Romans 3.10 tells us, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who would seek after God. No one. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is truly a free gift of God, as we find in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Well, that verse I'm sure most of us know. For by grace you have been saved, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Because you and I could do nothing to earn our salvation, we can surely do nothing to keep it. Our salvation remains alone in the sovereign love and power of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 38, and 39. <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I think. I guess there's a lot of them, but that's one I just love. It says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, and again I say nothing, that can separate us as believers from the love of our dear Savior. Nothing. Praise God. In Philippians 1.16, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That salvation, that work that he began within your heart, he will complete it. He'll perfect it until the day of Christ. We, that's a promise. Uh, Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. <laughs> there I go again. And he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, he sealed us to the day of redemption. And again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians. We'll get there. Back here we are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. And it says this, Now may, God, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you 
is faithful, and He will surely do it. <laughs> what a promise. These are tremendous promises. Now, in the light of biblical evidence, there's one author that asks these questions, and, and there's a four or five of them. I want you to think about these as we bring them out. He says, is it conceivable that in spite of all this, that Christians may still fall away and be lost? Is it possible for God to predestine us to holiness, and yet we do not become holy and live holy lives? Can He adopt us as His children and then disown us? Can He give us a guarantee of salvation and then renege on His promise? Doesn't sound like the God I know. Is the human will so strong as to overcome divine power? Surely not. What more does God need to say to assure us that He will uphold us to the end? What more can we say? Even the Apostle Peter, who was prone to failure, such as denying Christ three times, we know there in the garden, when, and he said he told uh, uh, Jesus, he said, oh yeah, Lord, I'll follow you all the way. You don't have to worry about me. I'll never deny you. And he said, oh yeah, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me, and he did. But he never even suggested ever that our salvation could be lost. He instead wrote in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, all that beautiful verses there. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has called us to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To, an, to obtain an inheritance. We have an inheritance, which is what? Imperishable. It's undefiled and it will not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept how? By the power, God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved, we have a reservation in heaven that's kept for us. Uh, in John 14, I believe chapter 2, he says, or verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you for the where I am, there you may be also. We have a reservation, beloved, and it's bought and paid for with the precious love, blood of Jesus Christ. At the very end of the same epistle, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.10, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is a magnificent promise. It is God's, here God says, Himself restores, 
Himself confirms, Himself strengthens. God Himself establishes our hearts. It is God's desire, even though you and I are attacked by the enemy of our souls, that He will be there always to accomplish His purposes in our lives, making us strong and establishing us and making us more and more like the image of Jesus Christ. That's His desire. That's His goal. Some of you may ask then, if I'm eternally secure, can I just live in unrepentant sin and still be saved and be assured of eternal life in heaven? Dear ones, eternal security in Christ never, never, never gives us a license to live in unrepentant sin. It does not. What does the Bible say? It says in Romans 6.1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I love the, the version in the old King James, and it says, God forbid. May it never be. No. He does not want us as believers to live in rebellion to Him and to live in unrepentant, unconfessed sin. He wants us to turn and to change our hearts and our lives. That's what repentance is. It's to turn away from. Pastor John MacArthur says this, and this quote's in your bulletins. And I quote, he says, Those who make a profession of faith but then fall away into unrepentant lifestyles of sin, and I might add, and live there, and reveal that their profession was never genuine. I think Martin Luther said that we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. There's always a change of heart in life. If our faith is real and genuine, my brother and sister this morning, our lives should be filled with the love and the gracious joy and peace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now we see, we saw how God preserves us. Now we're going to see that the Lord presents the believers blameless or faultless before His glorious throne. He says, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. Amen. Verses 24b and 525. The test of genuine faith is that it endures to the end. 
Matthew 24, 13 says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Timothy, I believe it's uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was getting into the end of his life and he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of life and not to me only but to all those who love His appearing. Paul knew that yes, there was a battle to be fought and there's a battle for each one of us to fight this morning. We will fight a good fight. We will finish our course, our race, clear to the end and we will keep the faith by the grace and the power of God. The <clears throat> Here he says to present you blameless or to make you stand. In this context means to set or to confirm or to establish. At the present time, we as believers stand in the grace of God. In Romans 5.1, as we quoted before, therefore there is no for being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the future, we will stand in glory. Colossians 1, 3, and 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. What a joy. That glorified body. When I, when I think of those, the, the glorification and the glorified bodies, I think of our dear little Jamie, who was able to throw away that wheelchair. And she is not bound to that old body anymore. She is running Amen. with her Savior now. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. We miss her. I miss looking over there, burning and, and seeing Jamie sitting over there. But you know what? I wouldn't bring her back for nothing, would we? We're thankful that she's in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those outside of Christ, to stand in the presence of God's glory should produce a curse on himself. Isaiah 6.5 says, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Ezekiel fell over as dead. Ezekiel 1.28, he says, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. He fell over as dead. Peter, James, and John experienced overwhelming fear, didn't they? Matthew 17.5-7, Jesus was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified. But Jesus came, and He touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. The apostle John, he fainted as dead when he saw a vision of the risen Christ. In Revelations 1.17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. And he said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. 
and the living one. Having come face to face with the glory of God's almighty presence, these men all instantly felt the heavy weight of his own selfishness. And I believe fervently if I was to come face to face with my Savior, with the living God right now, I would fall to the ground feeling my unworthiness. I'm a sinner saved by grace alone. That's it. To stand in the very presence of God, you and I must be blameless or faultless. Revelation makes it real clear, crystal clear actually, that unrepentant sinners will not enter the glory of heaven. Chapter 21, 27 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. How thankful we are that our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life even before the foundations of the world as we see in Revelation 13. The word blameless here, as we said, means faultless and is used to describe the sinless state that we as believers will one day enjoy. But those of us who now enjoy Christ's perfect righteousness are now positionally blameless before our holy God. He's made us righteous. As we quoted in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin. He was the perfect Lamb of God, so that in Him we may, might become the righteousness of God. We became His righteousness. Also, we are waiting for the resurrection when we will get new glorified bodies. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In heaven, we will completely be removed from evil and fully devoted to worship our God forever and ever. Revelations 19.6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Yes, Hallelujah, our God, the Almighty, reigns. In heaven we will experience no trials. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartaches, no hurts, 
no loneliness, no more goodbyes, and especially no more sin. That's what I'm longing for. No more sin to contend with. The coronavirus will be over. No more pandemics. No more lockdowns. Instead, we will experience great joy in seeing our Savior face to face, the one who saved us by his grace and giving him glory forever and evermore. It will be a divine joy with the Father and the Son and all the redeemed through all ages forevermore. I'm longing for that day. The older I get, the more I long for it. I'm only 71 years old. I will be Wednesday or Thursday. But you know what? Thank you. But you know what? It seems like a vapor. My life is just, boom, it's short. But I'm longing for the time where we can be with him. But I feel like the Apostle Paul so often. I love to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. But I realize it's still needful that we be here. We still have a work to do. We still want to share the love and the, and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world, don't we? There's people out there that need salvation. Let's tell them. As Jude ended his epistle, he offered praise for our present salvation and the future glorification of all believers. He says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Only God through Jesus Christ can accomplish the work of a Savior, can He? Here we see the highest praise for the Son. Glory shows all His divine attributes in the powerful radiance. In Exodus 33:22, He says, And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Majesty shows that the reign of the Father and the Son over all the earth. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe, how? By the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And authority... It shows that Christ's right and privilege to do what He wills. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, He says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If there is anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have never been to the cross and received salvation, 
the gospel that Jesus Christ led a perfect life and he went to the cross and he gave his life and he shed his blood for your sins and my sins. And then he was buried and three days later he rose again and he ascended on high and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for you and I. That is the gospel. If you believe the gospel, you can be saved today. Why not bend the knee right now? Why not confess, confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? We can either do it now or later in hell. Everyone will bend the knee. Everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. We might not even make it out these doors. We don't know. Come today and accept that salvation and have that same security that the rest of us in Christ have. Dominion shows his divine rule over everything in the universe and through all eternity. Revelations 1.8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Before all time, eternity past, the present age, now and forever, eternity future. You and I, beloved this morning, can only trust God's promises to preserve we as believers and one day present us blameless before His glorious throne without reservation. If we would doubt His promise of eternal security, is to doubt the very God who created us Himself because He is all-sovereign and He is all-powerful. But to embrace this promise this morning is to find everlasting joy and never-ending comfort in Jesus Christ. And I hope this morning that this has encouraged us, that this has given us comfort for this new year of 2021. We're going to close now with the words of Charles H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, When I heard it said that the Lord would keep His people to the end, and that Christ said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I know them and they give me eternal life and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. He said, I must confess that the doctrine of the final preservation of the saints was a bait that my soul could not resist. I thought it was some sort of life insurance an insurance of my character 
an insurance of my soul, an insurance of my eternal destiny. I knew that I could not keep myself, but if Christ promised to keep me, then I should be safe forever. And I longed and I prayed to find Christ because I knew that if I found Him, He would not give me a temporary or a trumpery salvation such as many preach. But He would give me eternal life which could never be lost. The living and corrupt, incorruptible seed which liveth and abideth forever. For no one, nothing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's come before him in a word of prayer. Eternal and all-wise God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we look to you just now and thank you and praise you for your almighty power. I thank you for your strength. I thank you for your guidance and your direction. And I just pray, Lord, that this morning that the words that have been spoken have been your words. And we know that all scripture that has been given will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that which you intended. So, Father, we trust you. You are the faithful one. And I pray that each one of us here this morning can have that security, eternal security that's safe and sound in Christ alone. Father, we look forward to the time where we can spend eternity in your very presence. And I would pray, Lord, that you might come soon. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We pray these things, and we ask it that you would receive all glory. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.